From jet engines to space rockets, telephones to computers, the world has seen spectacular change in the last hundred years, and the pace of progress is getting faster and faster. From electric cars to the metaverse, drone deliveries to climate solutions and genetic sequencing, we're investing in the companies that are not just changing the world today, but are also shaping the future. The Scottish Mortgage Investment Trust, managed by Bailey Gifford. Invest in progress, capital at risk. Hi, my name's John Schaefer, and I'm here today with Mark Barnett, manager of the TM Telworth UK Income and Growth Fund. Mark, thank you so much for joining me today. Hi. How would you say your fund differentiates itself from other UK equity income strategies? What I tried to do, starting off with a new fund proposition, blank piece of paper, you know, I tried to, 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 to think about what would be relevant um, for uh, clients today. Um, so there are some consistencies um, with how I've done things in the past, so actively managed portfolio. Differences though, working in Telworth, uh, small team, small boutique, UK equity focused. We used uh, some proprietary research tools which we, uh, which we uh, developed ourselves. Um, the fund also has a monthly dividend, which is, uh, I know is a little bit more common, but when I started out in the industry it was half yearly and then became quarterly. And actually monthly we think is much more in line with what clients want. Um, so those would be the key differences. Um, essentially, focused UK equities with a, with, a, with a desire to remain in the equity income sector. You mentioned monthly dividends there. Have you got a target yield for the year? No, there isn't. Well, the target yield is, is, is to be, is to be uh, in, in line with the market, if yep. not better than the market. That, that's, that's what keeps us in the sector. But we're not, we're not specifying. Yield, in a sense, the way I've always thought about income is income within the context of total return. So actually, what, what I'm trying to do, what the fund's trying to deliver, is, is a level of consistent dividend growth. I'm not targeting static yield. What I'm targeting is a level of consistency in the, in the income growth that will drive the total return. And that's kind of how, how you know, we view the, the, income, the income mandate. Um, essentially, what we're trying to do, though, with the, with the, with the dividend is to pay a monthly but from the forecast dividend that we've calculated off the fund to pay 5% of that forecast dividend in the first 11 months and then the balance 45% in month 12. There's plenty of other UK income funds out there, sort of the big ones like Joe Hambro's offering, you've got Red Wheels offering, Schroeder's got big funds. I mean, what do you really think's your USP in comparison to those? Size, monthly dividends, um, cost, We've got founders' share class. We've priced very competitive at 45 basis points, which is obviously below, um, below the average in the market. Um, and, and, you know, an ability to, to, to as I say, emphasise you know, mid-cap uh, within the larger holdings as well, which, you know, once you get to a certain size, your universe, because of the liquidity constraints, your universe does shrink or concentrates itself much more exclusively on the mm. FTSE 100. There's obviously a lot of negativity about local mandates. I mean, there, there was a billion taken out of UK equity funds in February alone. When do you think the tide will turn? Very, very difficult question to answer. It's absolutely the right question. A um, couple of things I would say. We believe that value will out. Value doesn't sit on the sidelines forever. The UK equity market is, is cheap relative to most other major stock markets. 
um, on a variety of valuation measures, not just classic PE, but but value therefore is evident in the UK in the UK market, uh, and we fundamentally believe that ultimately one way or another value will out. It either translates into companies redomiciling, which we've seen some of. Obviously, we found out recently that Arm is not going to list in the UK, and the CRH is going to move its listing to the to the US. The only reason they do that is because they will think that they can demand a higher a higher value for the company in those markets. It, not, I mean, is that a risk to you? That is, it is. Well, it's a risk. It, it is. I can own non-UK stocks, so yeah. you can own up to twenty percent in the equity income universe in, in, in the in, in the fund outside listed non-list non-UK listed stocks. It is unhelpful when your UK universe shrinks, and I think this is an issue that the government's kind of now listening to. There's a task force yeah. that's been put in place to. to I try mean, it was and in the budget, that. wasn't it? it yeah. Was, yeah, and they're think, definitely thinking about ways to address that. And I think I think this task force, this industry task force, is very much on pushing the message that you need to try and get the classic long-term owners of equities, i.e. pension funds, to own, own equities again, because those have been the big sellers over the last 20 years uh, as, as, as they've shifted, as the mandates for, for pension funds and for trustees have shifted mm. towards bonds and out of equities. When you have British American Tobacco, for example, and shareholders saying, maybe we should shift the, the yeah. listing from the UK to the US. As, as a UK fund manager, does it, that make you a little bit nervous? Unhelpful. Yeah. It's, it is unhelpful, but I don't think, but I, I think the government are onto it, yep. and I don't think the situation will remain static. The other point I would add is that M&A, um, which is relevant, you know, where, where there is mispricing uh, between markets, I think M&A is, is, going, is going to continue to be a feature of the UK market. Uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if we if we get a big bid if we start to see a big company get get bid for in the next in the in the next year or two. When you're selecting stocks, are you cognizant of that? Not really. It is. I wouldn't say it is top priority for for buying a company. It, it's always on the it's always on the list. Probably further down yep. the list, though. You mentioned the size of the fund. Now <laughs> the the fund's only just above twenty million at the moment. Where would you like to see assets in, say, three years? If we could get the fund to a couple of hundred million, that would be, that would be a very pleasing outcome. Um, and at the moment, as you say, we're at, we're at 20. Do you see a cap on that at the, at the other end? One of the, the elements that we've, that we've outlined from the start, actually, is that we would be capacity conscious. Uh, clearly not an issue when you're at 20 million, um, but, but we wanted to make it very clear that uh, we didn't want. We wanted to manage the fund in the interests of clients. Do what's right for clients, and therefore, if if it was right not to have a mega fund, I've man, I've managed mega funds in the past, and I can I can safely say that size is a constraint to performance. I believe that actually it is right to manage capacity appropriately and do so in the best interests of clients, uh, and that's 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 definitely a Telworth a Telworth viewpoint but it's something that, that we'll, we will be conscious of uh, with this fund. Out of 20 million, how much is your own money? It's about half a million. Half a million. And, and, and was there seed capital from, from Telworth itself as, as well? Well, all, the Telworth, all my colleagues at Telworth have put money in. We've had some institutions yep. that have come in um, from the start and continue to put money to work, although they tend to be, it tends to be more restricted around, around not owning more than 10%. So... There's a, there's, a, there's a natural cap on how much sure. they can put in because they don't want to own more than 10% of the fund. So as we grow, they can grow with it, if you like. 
Uh, and then there's friends and family. I'm sure you're somewhat disappointed that a year in, that you've only got 20 million in the, in the fund. Well, I would say to you this, you know, the fund launched at a time when we had a war on. The war sure. just started uh, in Ukraine, unhelpful for equity markets. Uh, we then had a, you know, a series of, you know, the backdrop for selling UK equity-only portfolios, uh, as you've highlighted, yep. is tough. Um, the backdrop for selling income portfolios is really tough. So I think it's a tick in the box that we got the fund launched at the time that we did. Uh, and actually to get to 20 million um, is, you know, is perfectly respectable. And bear in mind, these funds can build pretty quickly. So um, you know, once there is some momentum, um, you know, we can grow the fund more, more rapidly. That being said, do you still feel that there may, may be a shadow of Neil Woodford that's affecting inflows into the fund? I don't think so any longer. That's, that episode is... Uh, well, I, I, I left Invesco uh, three years ago now, so you know, it's, it's long, in, long in the past. Have you kept in contact with Neil? No. You mentioned that you, you ran a significant, significant amount of money at, yeah. at Invesco. What do you think the advantage are of running a portfolio at a boutique are in comparison to a huge house? We are a small team. There are eight investment professionals. Um, f- uh, four of us are looking at really all cap. So there's still quite considerable intellectual firepower looking at the, at the, at the whole of the UK market as opposed to just small cap, which is obviously the history of... Uh, UK small cap is the history of Telworth. More flexibility... I don't have any management responsibilities. I'm just a member of the team. That's great, really helpful, um, and um, and being able to be, you know, be, be be react quickly. The other factor, of course, is um, is the is is this proprietary research tool that that we've developed in house that 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 adds alternative data to the investment process. It's not necessarily a kind of buy or sell discipline for the fund, but it adds colour to stock selection ideas and investment cases and it also provides us with a more up-to-date tool to forecast mm. what's going on in the economy. I'm hearing here, you know, you, you, a little bit more nimble, less management responsibility, unique research aspects. What are the disadvantages? What are the disadvantages? I haven't found any, to be honest. Management access is very, very good. That was something that I was, I was unsure about when I joined. Would I still have the same amount of management access getting getting going, because management meetings is an yep. important part of the process, uh, has been for me ex- exactly the same for, 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 for the others at Telworth, um, and actually found really encouraged by the amount of time, uh, one-on-one time that, 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 that we've had with management teams. Shortly after I joined, I arranged to go and see Lord Wilson in Leicester, uh, um, and obviously if you go to Leicester, chances are you'll get a little bit more time because you've come all the way up. And he, he turned around and said, you're the first institution I've seen in over a year. If you're prepared to, to go the extra mile, then you will, get, you will get the access. Running this proprietary tool, I mean, that, that can't be cheap. You know, looking at the, the fund assets again, what, at what point does it become profitable to run this fund? The P&L aspect is not something that, 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 uh, that's in my responsibility directly. Sure. That's, that's, that's really a question for, for Paul Marriage and John Warren. Who own, who own the business, they are playing a long game here. They believe that it's right to have an equity income strategy to sit alongside the UK small cap strategy and the long short strategies that we, that we, that we, that we currently manage. Uh, and that's why they wanted to launch an equity income. It's still a big market, still 43 billion of assets, even though it's been in decline for the last few years. 
um, but that's still quite a lot of assets to go for. Would you consider including unquoted assets in the fund? And, and maybe are, are there some opportunities that you're seeing in, in the UK market at the moment? I established at the start that this would not have any unquoted in them. Truth is, uh, having inherited a, a large slug of unquoted in my previous role, um, I'm not saying that funds shouldn't be investing in this, and there are specialists that do this, but I come to the conclusion that an open access, daily priced, uh, mutual fund is, is, is not the right vehicle to own unquoted assets in. On the ba basis of that, you wouldn't have invested in unquoted assets from the off in, at Invesco? With the benefit of hindsight, no. So you don't think it's really, there's really a place for unquoted assets within an open-ended? Within an open-ended, I want to be clear yes. about this, yeah. within an no. open-ended fund. And other people do it within closed funds and there are different strategies. I'm not saying this is the wrong thing to do, but just from the structure of, 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 what, of what we manage, uh, at Telworth, this is not the right vehicle. I want to dig into the, the portfolio a little bit more. I mean, financials feature significantly. Mm -hmm. It's been an interesting week or two in, in markets. We've had SVB and Credit Suisse. That contagion's kind of filtered in a little bit into the UK mm -hmm. financials market. Does that mean you're looking to sell some of these, these stocks? You've got NatWest in, in, in your top five, and you've got yeah. Barclays significantly lower down, but, yeah. but the financials feature heavily. They do, um, and they've taken, you know, sentiment has has been tough the last couple of weeks in the, in the particularly, well, across all financials, to be honest, because it's impacted businesses like legal in general as well. The fundamentals of the UK financials, uh, to my mind, appear resilient and robust. Um, the regulatory environment, as we know, has been much stricter and more all-encompassing here than, in, than in, certainly in the US. And a lot of the banks, particularly the smaller banks, have, have, have complained about that, but actually, at a system level, it seems to have worked. <clears throat> the fact that the SVB, UK arm of the SVB, um, was, was assumed within HSBC over the course of a weekend um, is testament to, and this was obviously approved by the regulators, testament to, to my mind, to the regulatory framework doing its, doing its job. What I have done, though, um, is, uh, is change around one or two positions. I accept that Barclays which is slightly different from Lloyd's in that West, um, has, a, uh, has an investment bank, um, which clearly investors may wish to draw parallels with Credit Suisse. Now, I'm far from it. I don't believe that there are anything like that mm. uh, at Barclays. But in terms of a kind of less opaque business model, I think you know, it's, I have to accept that Barclays is, is, a, is, a, is a more difficult one for people to understand and to value. So I have rejigged. I've kept that West. I've built up Lloyd's, and I've still got one savings bank, don't forget that, which is obviously the specialist uh, buy-to-let lender, which had results yep. out last week, very, very strong results last week, um, and actually surprised people with the size of their buyback they announced. Um, shares were up 10% on the day. I've rationalised it in the, with the, you know, in the understanding that if people want to buy a bank, they probably will buy NatWest and Lloyd's before they'll buy Barclays. There must have been a lot of negativity around one savings bank and it, on the basis of its buy-to-let focus, that, that well, market. Well, professional, it's professional landlords. This is, yep. they, 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 they're very much geared towards people who own more than two or three properties. Yep. Um, they, you know, and, they, and they are super conservative. So you know, the, the kind of stress testing they're doing on their loans, the loan book is, you know, they've got very, very few loans that are, that are over 80% loan-to-value. The average is well below, is, is below 50, well below 50. Very high capital ratios, the highest in the sector, 18% uh, tier one ratio for that bank and return on equity consistently above 20%. You know, so we're talking about the other banks 
may be targeting 13 to 15, recent results have just declared 24% yep. return on equity. So, you know, really a, a very profitable and strong and strong organisation. So just to clarify, have you, have you closed your position in Barclays then on, yeah. on, on the back of that? And, and that West, do you see reducing that? I would argue that th this episode has revealed difficulties for a number of organisations that were either very, very specialist, i.e. SVB, or had already embarked on restructuring, which as a result of mistakes made by previous management, which is the way I would categorise uh, Credit Suisse. Um, uh, and they were, you know, clearly that restructuring wasn't given time to, 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 to evolve um, because they got swept up with, with concerns around their, around their liquidity. And actually, I think the liquidity of the UK banks are, 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 is resilient and robust and I think the system is working as it, as it should have done. Let's look at energy companies. They've been some of the top contributors in, in your fund since launch. Um, do you see that continuing throughout the rest of the year? I do think they will continue to perform well. We've given back a little bit um, from the recent highs, partly because the market's come back and partly the oil price has, 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 has drifted back. When I think about where the oil price is heading, I think one of the features of the landscape that might be quite important is, um, particularly US-focused, is how is how um, U.S. energy companies, shale companies in particular, um, are, have access to capital, um, given that the stock market has been a more difficult place for them to raise capital. And actually, I would imagine mm. that some of the smaller banks are lending money into the energy into the energy sector in the states. And if we see a, a credit crunch in the U.S. or restrictions on some of the or, or, or of, lend, of, of, of regional bank lending. May, it's possible that the energy sector, what we start to see is supply coming under pressure in the US energy sector, which will obviously be uh, a positive for the oil price. The UK companies are really very, very well positioned. Um, uh, as you saw BP at BP's results, they've announced that they're going to extend CapEx, a little bit more CapEx into the upstream to take advantage of the current high price because they see medium term oil prices uh, being maintained at a high level. Um, and, uh, and obviously they are pivoting into and transitioning the business into, into new energy technologies, which will take a while to come through in certain aspects. Although BP, I note, is putting big emphasis in biofuels, and biofuels is a really clever transitional technology which slots into the existing infrastructure. I mean, if you think what they're doing in biofuels is adding in renewable fuel into existing uh, fossil fuels and actually creating a much lower emission jet, uh, you know, jet diesel or, 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 or truck diesel, uh, and actually that slots into the existing infrastructure, which is in contrast to obviously having to build wind farms or build out huge you know, EV charging infrastructure, which is going to happen but will take many, many years. But actually the biofuels piece for BP is a sort of slot into the to and an, a sort of intermediate profit stream. How do you feel about the potential for more significant windfall taxes on, on some of these energy, energy firms? I mean, that's not just Shell and BP that will be affected. You've, you've also got Centrica in the portfolio that, that perhaps could be um, in the eyes of. Uh, I don't. Of I don't see. I look that you can't rule it out, and yeah. politics is capricious. But I don't see these businesses as as. Um, part of the problem. I see them more as part of the solution. And, and for the UK economy, if we want to be a, a leader in, in carbon capture and storage or in the energy transition, a whole range of new, new, you know, new technologies, the, the, the battery technology, etc., we need to allow some of these big companies 
to invest because they have the balance sheets to be able to do that. And if you keep hitting them with windfall taxes, they can choose to allocate money to other economies where the tax regime is, is more, more advantageous. You've got um, a reasonable allocation to consumer discretionary stocks in the portfolio. You've got the likes of JD Sports, then Elm Next and there. Um, what does that say sort of about your optimism towards the UK economy? Does, are you basically suggesting that things are, go- are going to improve, I really? Think I've lo- I've long, I've, for, for a while, I've thought, and this dates back to the sort of last summer when um, the market got very nervous about the extent of the cost of living crisis and the rise in, 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 in utility costs and fuel costs and food. Um, and I felt at that time that the valuations being attributed to consumer discretion in the UK, we're already factoring in a pretty difficult outcome. So the starting point was, these valuations look interesting, they're low. Let's just think a bit more about how this this might transpire in terms of how this UK, the UK domestic economy might evolve. And I took took the view that, yes, there was inflation, but it was likely to be peaking by about the middle of this year, and I still believe that. And actually, the numbers are coming through because year on year, the base effects of high inflation last year, unless you repeat the same, actually, your base effect means the inflation rate will start to fall. And I believe we'll start to we'll, we'll start to see that from kind of next month onwards, really. Uh, and that will start to help real wage growth. Because don't forget, the wage picture in the UK remains pretty good, 5 or 6% overall wage, wage growth. Um, and, and if inflation starts to fall below that level, household, overall household income will start to improve. And actually, the numbers in terms of, sort of sales numbers that we've seen from the retailers have been, have been pretty good. You ally that to the fact that quite a lot of capacity has come out of the retail sector, particularly in clothing, but also department stores, so Mm. that's kind of homewares. Uh, Quite a lot of capacity has come out of the sector in the last few years, before and after the pandemic. And then you've got a set of circumstances. I mean, we're we're looking at sort of a lot of high street retailers here. There's still still online, which is always going to be the the competitor to to these kind of businesses. Yeah, absolutely, I accept that. But but the pricing differential between online and, and physical you know, has, uh, is, is narrowed significantly yep. from where it was a few years ago. Well, Mark, thanks so much for joining me today. No problem. From jet engines to space rockets, telephones to computers, the world has seen spectacular change in the last hundred years, and the pace of progress is getting faster and faster. From electric cars to the metaverse, drone deliveries to climate solutions and genetic sequencing, we're investing in the companies that are not just changing the world today, but are also shaping the future. The Scottish Mortgage Investment Trust, managed by Bailey Gifford. Invest in progress. Capital at risk.